Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvot Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. We are located at the corner of Boulevard and Grove, across from the Art Museum. For more information, you can visit our website at tikvotisrael.com. There, you can support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and contact us with any questions or comments. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. Nobody told me how much time I have, so your guess is as good as mine. It's a blessing to be here. I was supposed to be here a few weeks ago, and I was looking forward to it. Um, And then we had this hurricane. And I was thinking, you know, I could still make this trip. And then, but it would mean leaving my wife and son home. And uh, my wife is a very understanding woman. But she would not understand me leaving her home in a Category 5 hurricane that was covering the state. So I called and said, I am sorry. I never cancel. And I had to call and say, I'm really sorry, but we have this major hurricane coming, and I've got to cancel. And uh, uh, David said, if you need anything, or if we can help in any way, let us know. I I know he was just being nice and didn't mean it, but... uh, We talked about evacuating because this was like a Category 5. Wherever you went in the state, the hurricane would be. And so my wife started looking through, you know, the orbits, looking for, you know, Hotels.com to try to find hotels like in Georgia. But the hurricane was going to be there, too. And all the hotels in Georgia were booked because more than half the state evacuated. And we we said, well, let's look for Alabama. And we checked out. That was booked, too. And uh, we didn't have anywhere to go. And then on top of that, I have a mother who's lived with us for the past four years and she has dementia. She has it really bad. And we recently put her into a facility because I couldn't leave my house for more than an hour when she was living with us. So uh, I couldn't just leave because I didn't know what would happen to her. And the place didn't know. They They were evacuating, they were not evacuating. And so we were really down to the wire And at the last minute, they said, we're going to evacuate to a facility on higher ground, but they'll take care of her and everything else. So we said, well, maybe, we don't know, maybe we can just wait it out at home. We have hurricane shutters. I mean, we close that place up tight. But uh, I have a friend who worked for the hurricane uh, service, and he called me and said, tomorrow morning your neighborhood is going to be mandatory evacuated. You have to get out. In fact, he didn't just say you have to. He said, get out. And um, because we're only seven feet above sea level where we live. And you're probably wondering where I'm going with this. Don't worry, it'll 
Um, we had nowhere to go. And then I remembered what David said. And I called him and I said, we need to go someplace to get away from this hurricane. Can we come to you? And without hesitation, well, a little hesitant, no. <laughs> he, said, he said, come. I said, but you don't understand. It's not just me. It's me, my wife, and my son, and our three dogs. Two of them are greyhounds. And I think he called the howlers, and they worked it out and said, just come. So we loaded up our car, and it's a Honda Accord with with two greyhounds and my wife in the back, my son and our little dog. The little one's 12 pounds. The greyhounds are about 80 pounds. And uh, we left at midnight. And we had been hearing that the roads were a solid traffic jam and that there were no, no gas along the way because everybody was trying to get out. I stood in my living room before we left, and I said, Lord, you gave us this house. That's another story, which I won't go into, but it's kind of, kind of edifying and miraculous. I said, Lord, you gave us this house. I'm asking you to protect it. And we left. I drove 19 hours. Uh, we had no traffic on the road until we had South Carolina, but that's a South Carolina thing. Uh, we also found gas everywhere we needed to go. It was as if God opened a path for us. Uh, and we were very aware of his hand on us as we made it to Richmond. And we spent how many days? I know it seemed like a month, but it was like four days here. Huh? Six days? five or six days, but it was so much fun. Now that <laughs> it was a blessing. Uh, we received love and kindness, and when we went home, um, actually before I went home, I got an email from Maggie. It was, I was local. You could have called. Uh, and she said, could you fill in here on the 7th? And I was like, yeah, so here I am. Uh, but we got home. We had this huge old oak tree in our backyard. It was snapped in half. I mean, you could have had two people. If you hollowed it out, two people could have fit inside of it. It was big. And it was snapped completely in half. Our house was untouched. And... I mean, there were a couple of screens that were torn, but that, you know, we could live with that. God provided and God protected us. And that goes, now you're wondering, how's he going to transition to Hevra? This is it. Um, God's hand has been on me my entire life. I've known him since I was a child, and I've known his love since I was a child. I should tell you, by the way, God also protected my mother. I was really worried about her, and the nursing home called me when I was here. 
and they said, could you talk to your mother, please? And I figured, I don't know what was going on, but I knew that she was safe. She said, help, I'm being kidnapped. I said, you're not being kidnapped, they're protecting you. And then I asked them, did she take her meds? And they said, she refuses to take them. I said, why didn't you take your meds? She said, well, I don't know what they're giving me. I said, well, I know it, just take it. So she took it, and she's been fine. God protected my mom. He protected us. My mom is the one who told me when I was a child that God loved me and watched over me. It's out of the love of God in our lives that we minister to other people. And that's what I really want to talk about. I've been the recipient of God's love my whole life. What that means is, it doesn't mean my life is sugar-coated. Uh, to have to evacuate is really unsettling. It, it's really quite unsettling. Uh, I've gone through very difficult things in my life, which I also won't go into right now. But at some point, if uh, I'll write a book and you can read it. But uh, no matter what we go through, we need to be aware of the love of God, of the hand of God in our lives. I minister out of the strength of that. If you notice, I am sitting down. Uh, it's not just because you get to sit down and I feel I want equal rights. Uh, I have several medical conditions where if I stand for a while, I get really dizzy and I could keel over. And I don't want you thinking I'm having a religious experience unless I'm really having it. So um, I have to sit most of the time. But I, get, I go everywhere I need to go, and I do everything I need to go because I'm serving God, and he makes a way for us. In Ephesians chapter 4, actually chapter 5, it uh, says, So imitate God as dear children and live a life of love, just as also the Messiah loved us. Indeed, and on behalf gave himself up as an offering, as a slaughtered sacrifice to God with pleasing fragrance. He loved us and redeemed us. Do you know what redemption means? A re redemption means we were purchased. He redeemed us with his life. And that obligates us to live our lives in a way that, is, that honors his sacrifice for us. He gave his life as a slaughtered sacrifice that we might live to glorify him. So imitate God as his dear children. It says, live like children of light. For the fruit of the light is in every kind of goodness, righteousness, and truth. Try to determine what will please the Lord. 
Therefore, pay attention to how you conduct your life. Live wisely, not unwisely. Use your time well, for these are evil days. So don't be foolish, but try to understand what the will of the Lord is. We live in a hard time, and we face many hard things. And sometimes we don't know which way is right. There's good here, there's good there, there's bad here, there's bad here. Mostly, life is a mixed bag, and it's difficult it would be so easy if everything was just black and white, and you know, this is good, this is not. But it, it's not always like that. I've been working for the past 25 years, going to Eastern Europe, ministering to the poor, the Jewish poor, Holocaust survivors, because I want them to see Yeshua in me. I became a believer not because somebody shared the magic verse. Who knows what the magic verse is? Come on. John 3.16, close but no cigar. Let's try again. Isaiah 53. People shared it with me. They said, look, look, who else could it be? It has to be Yeshua. I saw that and said, so what? I'm honest with you. I said, who cares? And then they try to reason with me. You know, if you got the right argument, you can win them to the Lord. And they took me to hear Josh McDowell. Does anyone know who Josh McDowell is? You know, and he had this famous message. He's either Lord, lunatic, or a liar. He can't be anything else. You have to decide. And they said, what do you think? I use my favorite phrase, so what? And my friends just went, eh. But I became a believer in Yeshua in November 1973 because I saw Yeshua in the lives of my friends. And the arguments didn't do anything for me. By the way, nobody should accept the Lord because they lost the argument. Think about that. What if somebody comes up with a better argument? What are you going to do? Can't just give up the Lord. So it's not because of an argument or because of a verse. But I saw Yeshua in people, in their kindness, in their love, and their actions. And I found him to be irresistible. I couldn't resist him. And I've wanted people to see Yeshua in me. I was first asked to come to Ukraine in 1993. And they asked me to come and help teach leaders because they had no one to teach. And these leaders had congregations of Jewish people who found Yeshua, but they had no training. So I started going and teaching leaders. After a while, I saw the love of God in the people who were ministering, and I was very attracted to it. And I asked God to make a place for me in the work, and they did. And 
I started working, doing ministry among leaders of Messianic congregations. Because I do better with the leaders and the congregants. I'm, you know, it's that New York thing. I, you know, I, I put my foot in my mouth a lot sometimes. You have to be forgiving. To, anyway, <laughs> anyhow, after a while, God put it on my heart to do the ministry of soup kitchens, to feed the hungry. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. This is a new Bible I have. It has all these ribbons, and I can never figure out which one goes where. Starting in verse 31, it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, accompanied by all the angels, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be assembled before him, and he'll separate people from one another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. The sheep he will place on his right and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you whom my father has blessed, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you from the founding of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you made me your guests. I needed clothes and you provided them. I, have, I, have, I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the people who have done what God wants will reply, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and make you our guest, or need clothes and provide them? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? The king will say to them, Yes, I tell you that whenever you did these things, for the least one of these important of my brothers of mine, you did it to me. When I was working in Ukraine, I had the opportunity to meet with the Jewish poor. Many were Holocaust survivors, but the Holocaust survivors are quickly passing from our midst. But there are many Jewish poor. People who go to sleep at night and they don't know if they will eat the next day. People who can't afford bread. And I visit them in their homes and I visit them in our soup kitchens. And I wanted to do something to help. We've been operating soup kitchens throughout the Ukraine and throughout the cities of the former Soviet Union. It's not a matter of politics. They all have different opinions, just like us. But they're Jewish people in need. And I felt we can do something or not. I'm not a rich man. I don't have a lot of money. 
but I have a mouth and I can advocate for them. And I've been involved in sharing about our work. And I want you to know when somebody is hungry and you feed them, they can see the love of God in what you do. I was at a soup kitchen in a city called Drahovich, which is where Ukraine, Hungary, and Poland come together. And a lot of these people are old communists, you know, and they still haven't gotten over that. And this old lady, her name was Rita, waves for me to come over. And she grabs my arm, kind of the way my grandmother used to, when she wanted to tell me something. And she practically wrestled me down to sit down. I sat down. And she said, I want to express gratitude. When you are feeding the poor, you never want them to be feeling beholding to you because it's a humiliating thing for, to have to receive help. So when she said, I want to express gratitude, I said, oh, for what? And she said, for the soup kitchen. I said, you don't have to thank me, it's my job. It's not really my job, but uh, I, I told her that because I didn't want her to feel like she owed me anything. And then she grabbed my hand even tighter. I was beginning to lose circulation, which meant she wanted to emphasize. I got the point. And she said, you don't understand. She said, before communism ended, I was the chief physician for this region, and I'm living on $35 a month. If it were not for the soup kitchen, I would be dead. And if it were not for the soup kitchen, all these people that you see here would be dead, and I'm speaking for them, and we are grateful. And I felt like I was representing Yeshua. And I took her hand. I didn't squeeze her the way she squeezed me. You don't forget something like that. I took her hand and I said, Rita, I want you to know, first, that God loves you. And second, that a woman like you should never have been in this situation. We are grateful that we could help you. And so she hugged me. I hugged her. We touched her life and the lives of all the people in the soup kitchen for very little. I went to another soup kitchen in a city called Sambor. Sambor is more in central Ukraine. And in this soup kitchen, I walked in. The people are eating and they're, you know, chatting. It, it become, you have to realize we can bring food parcels to people, and we do that. But it's not the same as a soup kitchen. Because 
you can bring them food parcels and they're sitting in their apartments waiting to die. But when they come to a soup kitchen, they dress up and it's like an, like an event. It's almost like a party for them and they'll spend the whole day there and, and they're schmoozing, they're talking, they're having a good time, kind of like what you're doing in Oneg, uh, which you'll go to afterwards. I'll be there, we can talk. But I was in Sambor and they said, the rabbi is here. The people lined up and they said, what rabbi, would you bless us? It's not just about food. It's an opportunity to minister to people. And, you know, we don't make anybody have to listen to a sermon if they're going to get food. It says if they're hungry, you feed them. Somehow, you know, with food, there's always love. You know, they get it. The people lined up and asked me to pray for them. And I noticed a man in the back, and he didn't have a smile on his face. He's looking kind of like this. And I'm thinking, you know, that's the Russian whatever. I saw him, and I, I went like this. Come here. He comes over. I said, I would like to make a prayer for you. What can I pray for? He said, I need teeth. I, teeth? He, he was missing nine teeth. So I turned to the guy who coordinates. I said, what does it cost around here to get nine teeth? He said, probably about $10 a tooth. I always carry money with me when I go visit the poor because you can't just hug them and think you did something for them. They're hungry. They need things. I gave $100 to the man. I said, buy him teeth. Six months later, I came back to visit that soup kitchen. He was smiling. It looked like the Golden Gate Bridge, literally. You know. For 100 bucks. We changed his life. He was able to, um, he was able to eat. He could chew. He was happy. So I said, praise God. Lately, what we've been doing has been in central Ukraine. We don't get much of what goes on over there on our news because we've got such important things they discuss. But... Um, I'm not going there, don't worry. <laughs> but there's been a war going on with Ukraine and Russia for the past couple of years. You may have heard something about it. They seized and took Crimea. Uh, Crimea, Crimea was part of Ukraine. We had soup kitchens there. I had been there three times before the Russians took it. Now we can't minister there. Uh, but a lot of there were a lot of refugees from the war in eastern Ukraine coming into central Ukraine in a city called Zaporozhye. Um, we've been going to Zaporozhye. I should have been there now, but because of the hurricane, I had to postpone things. I'm going November 10th, so I'd appreciate your prayers for our trip. Uh, but we have a lot of Jewish refugees. And the interesting thing about it, remember I said the love of God is the motivation for our ministry. Um, let me ask you a question. How much cooperation do you get with the Jewish community around here? They just welcome you with open arms. They love you to pieces, right? Yeah? No. Anyway, 
Yeah, not in Florida either. But let me tell you something. The Jewish organizations in Ukraine have asked us to partner with them to operate soup kitchens. I mean, I don't, that may not seem like a big deal to you, but it's a very big deal because normally they want to have nothing to do with us. But many of the soup kitchens, uh, many of the Jewish organizations in Ukraine have been defunded. You know why? Bernie Madoff. A lot of the money he stole were from Jewish charities, and they didn't have the money. We didn't invest with Bernie Madoff because we didn't have money. But um, we, we wouldn't want that anyway. But um, we operate on a very small budget, but we accomplish a lot with it. And they asked us to help them. So with the help of the Jewish organizations in central Ukraine, we're feeding people, Jewish people, who are refugees from the war. And uh, it's been a blessing. When we go in there, I go into the soup kitchen, I try to hide a little bit. You know, I take pictures, but I want to be, um, if you want to see the pictures, you have to get the newsletter. Uh, by the way, the newsletter is free, not just for you, it's free for us too. We don't pay a dime to print it or mail it, so don't feel like if you sign up, you're taking money from us. You're not. First Fruits of Zion, they pay for our newsletter because they believe in what we're doing. So it costs us nothing. So please, by all means, sign up for it and take it. Uh, I take pictures. I try not to be intrusive. I don't want people to see me because I don't want to embarrass them. The head of the Jewish organization, Joint, over there, uh, takes me by the arm, pulls me into the center of the room, and said, I just want to introduce to you the man who's responsible for the soup kitchens. And I'm turning red. This is not how I operate. And a few people clapped. But one by one, these poor people stood up with their heads bowed and their shoulders slumped over. And they said, we want to thank you for providing this food because we have nothing. And I wanted to cry. And I tell you this because I want to thank you. The peop this congregation supports Hevra and some individuals may as well. But I want you to know you make that difference. Uh, I eat the food in the soup kitchens too when I visit because I want to make sure it's not slop. You know, and the food is good. Uh, we had chicken, we had soup, we had bread, we had something called kasha, which is if your grandmother was from, the, from that area, I grew up with it. It's kind of like uh, roasted buckwheat with these noodles. It's delicious. Um, and so we had all that. And, you know, I always make it a point to ask people, do you get this all the time or just when I visit? And they no, no, we get it all the time. You know, that's just what we want. So while we were eating, uh, they asked me, can we add 10 more people to the soup kitchen? And I said, well, I don't know. How much does it cost to add 10 more people? Actually, we need to add like 200 people, but we don't have the money for it. 
So I said, what does it cost to add 10 people? The guy who runs the canteen where we have it is sitting there with a calculator and he figures it out. He said, for 10 people for a month, it's $330. I said, how many meals is that? Five days a week. A hot meal, five days a week for a month. 10 people, $333 a person for a month. It's, what is that to us? That's going out to what? What was that beef place? Buzz and whoever? Ned and, yeah, that was good. But, uh, but I mean, you could go out for a meal, what it cost us, you could feed someone for a whole month. It's an opportunity to share the love of God with people for a month. And what we really need from people, to be honest, is, you know, we need everything. So, you know, if you could help for a month for one person, great. If you could help for 10 people, that's great. It, what we need is regular giving because when you commit to feeding people, it's not just $330 for 10 people, but you can't tell them you can't come back next month because we don't have the money. We've got to be sure we've got it coming in every month because we've got to feed people every month. I had uh, a friend of mine who is a venture capitalist in California um, who I've never asked for money for Hevra because I don't do that. I don't impinge on friendships. Uh, I'm not saying you're not my friends, but, but I don't use a friendship that way. It's up to individuals. He called me in December and said, listen, Michael, I don't, tell me about Hevra. I said, you know about Hevra. He goes, well, tell me about what your needs are. And I told him about the soup kitchens and everything else. And he said, my income is up and down. I may get a lot of money one month and nothing for the next few months. So if I gave you a chunk of money, how it would be spent? I said, I can tell you exactly how it'll be spent. If you give us a chunk of money, uh, We'll take it and divide it into 12 parts, and we'll send that much every month. He said, all right, I'll talk to my wife. He called me back later. He sent us $12,000. $12,000 works out 1000 a month. That means 30 people a month, five days a week, for a year. I was excited about that but we still have like 200 people and more because we've had more uh, evacuees. The, now I can really identify with the evacuees, but their problem was the people who were evacuating were living in houses that had been flattened by artillery. They were living in their basements. And so they walked 200 miles to come to Zaporosha and they're living in the worst environments you can imagine. Homes with, not homes, but like old, de decrepit, communist summer camps where the roofs have rotted away, and um, they got some stretchers in there, and they have towels between, you know, to separate room from room, and it's, it's really pretty, pretty miserable. And so we have them coming for food, and we're ministering to them. Uh, we can't do everything, but you can do something. And we like to feel that we may not be the mouth of God, you know, there are a lot of people who want to be the mouth of God, you know, basically they want to tell you off. Uh, 
You can be more effective being the hands of God, sharing his love and meeting people's needs. And we have this opportunity just now. And what I'm sharing with you is the opportunity to become the hands of God, to minister to people. I have a short video, if we can show it. This was taken uh, right after that soup kitchen. Uh, we were also distributing some meat. This is in Russian, but I have someone translating. I'm going to need you to crank up the sound a little. I took the video myself, which is why I'm not We are all together. Thank you very much that you came to our wonderful city, that you, that you are helping those people who are need and you are helping them. Our, we are always ready to welcome you in our city. We are some of the nicest uh, cities on the, of the Ukraine. So we ask you, just come again, we are very welcome, and uh, according to uh, this you can help us, the Jews, those Jews who are really on needy. We are very thankful to all persons, especially for those who are uh, having to collect uh, food and, uh, I, I, I am the uh, co-worker of the the voluntary of uh, young people, and especially for those who are very needy, those who are and especially for those who are in the, uh, also in the war. So we, are, uh, we are also visiting them in uh, hospitals, especially those who have been hurt in the war during the battles. Also, this is our friend Lyubov Abramovna. I am the volunteer in our Hasset. 18 years. Oh, bravo! <laughs> and uh, from all our Mishpacha. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. you are helping us. Especially those who need uh, and uh, those on needy. Let God will bless you and keep you. And let God will help you to, to survive up to 120 as the Torah says. And let will be old houses blessing in your families. That you will be lucky. And that you will have the old Do, were you able to follow what, what they were saying? Probably the one you understood was, thank you very much. But this is taken, well, not that, but uh, it was taken in the Jewish Community Center in Zaporosha, 
if you could read the Russian on the wall, it said shalom. But um, we have an opportunity to be working in the center of the Jewish community, ministering to people. Uh, to me, that's more miraculous than any hurricane thing. You know, that was more immediate. But God is opening doors for us to do ministry. And it's very exciting. And all I can do is share about it and ask that you would, you would try to help us. We need your help. Uh, Hever's not a big organization. We, we're not on TV. We don't do all that. But we have an opportunity to do so much good and to be such a blessing to our people. And they for sure know who we are because they said, don't put this, uh, you know, they, they were concerned that some of the, uh, the New York uh, organizations might see it. And I said, don't worry, we'll be discreet about it. But they need our help. They don't want Jewish people going hungry. Uh, and I found long ago when you have an opportunity to do ministry, you need to take the opportunity to do it. So we are very much aware that you guys are partnering with us, and we need your help, and we need your prayers. Prayers are really important because money can buy food, but prayers open doors. What you saw is the result of your prayers. God has given us a free hand to do ministry, not only in this city, but in others. Uh, so please pray for us, and please stand by us. Uh, let us take the opportunity and share the love of God, of Yeshua, uh, to our people. Thank you, and Shabbat Shalom.